Father, I think about those words, the, the invitation for you to be among us in this place, but Lord, in a, in a personal prayer, Lord, to, to be in the, um, the midst of, of my life, the lives of each person here. But Father, would you come? And open our eyes, Lord, uh, in, in wonder, in amazement at who you are and, and all that you've done for us, the, the grace that you offer, the direction that you'll provide in our lives, Lord, the, the correction when we're off in the wrong direction. Lord, that you would open up our eyes to of the sin in our lives that, that sometimes still besets us. The scripture talks about the, the sin that so easily entangles our feet and causes us to trip. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the people around us, our, our friends and our family. Lord, that we would value them, hold them closer because they, like us, are made in the image of you. Lord, that you would open our, our eyes to the needs, the, the darkness that is around us in the world in which we live and those who are still stumbling looking for answers and all kinds of things that will never give the answers that we seek. And Lord, I pray this morning that we will be people who are filled with your heart, renewed by the life that you give to us. And that if we'll, if we'll stand honestly before you, it, it, you tell us in the word that if we call out to you, you will come to us. And so if we'll stand honestly in your presence, are we, are we willing to be indeed consumed by how majestic you are? To stand in awe of your of your greatness. And then in the next moment realize that, that you chose even with the depth of your majesty and, and the height of your greatness, you still you still care about each one of us in the smallest details of our lives. And Lord, I know I come, up, I come up short so often in living my life as if that's the reality in which I could live, that, that I, it's easy to forget and it's easy to be consumed with earthly things and 
Lord, to be distracted from you and your purpose. So, Lord, I, I treasure this moment for us here together. The gift that is worship with brothers and sisters. Lord, as we uh, sometimes just kind of bumble along after you. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness towards us. Your immeasurable grace. Your mercy that, that rises new with the sun every single morning. Lord, provoke us to live in ways that honor that, that honor you, express our love back to you and our gratitude for your love towards us. Be with us in the rest of these few moments that we have together. Uh, be with uh, our children who are working with Generation Praise and uh, Karen and Tyler as they lead them. Lord, that they'll be excited about music and we're working towards that, that beautiful time, Easter Sunday. Lord, be with those who will work with our children and other ministry areas this morning. Be with us here in this room. As we break open the written word, Lord, try to, try to understand some of the things that you've taught us there and see them come to life in our daily lives as we follow after you. Lord, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we will let our kids take off for Generation Worship, and we also have some kids' stuff. Just nursery today. We have nursery today, but I think there's some handouts on the back table there if you've got a little one who would like to have that. And if you want to turn with me uh, in your Bibles, on your devices, however you are doing that these days, I'm going to be in John chapter 15. Russ, can you roll this, uh, the monitors off? I think that's where that ring is coming from. John chapter 15. Check, check, hey, it was me, never mind. Don't stick my hand in this pocket, my mute button is in there unless, <laughs> so I can, if I can turn it on, I can turn it on. So, don't do that. So we're in this series, uh, still working through um, the I am statements of Jesus that we find in the book of John. And uh, I've enjoyed this uh, series because it's just reminded me about some of those, these qualities of who Jesus is and who he says that he is that maybe sometimes I, I, I forget. And this is one of them today that I'm familiar with the passage of Scripture, but the concept of it sometimes the, the depth of it, the importance of it, sometimes I, I sort of forget. 
And so maybe you'll have that experience with me this morning as we look through it. But it's in John chapter 15, and I'm actually going to start in verse 5, but then we're going to backtrack a little bit. And then I want to take you to another passage of Scripture. And, I, and my goal here today really is to kind of just, just drop this in and then let the Word do what the Word does. Which, by the way, let me just say... Um, there are many, many ways to read and, and dig into the Bible. Um, God's written word that he's provided and protected for us and, and preserved for us today. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, there was certainly a period in my life where, you know, life is very busy and it, it was hard to set aside large blocks of time to kind of study the Bible. And I think that's the impression that we sometimes get and sometimes the impression that we give is that if we're going to read the Bible, we have to be studying the Bible. You know, we need to have the notebook out and the highlighters. And if you're in, you know, like inductive Bible study stuff, you know, you have to have your 10 different colored highlighters. And then you're going to write all these words in there around it and circle things. And, and all of that's great. And I've done all of those things. And I still do some of those things now. Um, but there may be seasons in your life where, uh, you know, maybe you're sick, um, maybe life is just piled on and you don't have a whole lot of energy to do much of anything but stay alive, um, or maybe uh, you're just in one of those periods where you're kind of, and you don't want to dig into it like that. Let me encourage you, the very first way to engage with the Word of God is to just read it. Just read it. I will uh, forever be grateful to uh, my brother-in-law, David Crawford, uh, for talking to me about this when I was a teenager, and we were having a discussion about this, this topic, about reading the Bible. And he said, you know, um, the Word of God is, is like food. And he said, you know, you can spend time uh, digging out recipes and, and, you know, honing your knife skills and doing something that's really complicated to put together for dinner, or you can just get some food and eat it. And either way, if you get it in you, the food will do what it's supposed to do. He said, so sometimes if all else fails, and you've just, for some reason, for whatever reason, you've failed to be able to set aside time to study the Bible, or life just isn't conspiring with you to make that very possible, he said, if nothing else, just eat it. Get it in you, and then the Word of God, the bread of God, the food that God provides through that will do the work that it's supposed to do. The greatest failure that we can have is just to not eat it. And so if that, if that helps you today, I, I'll be glad about that because maybe you've been thinking, you know, I, man, I really need to get into my Bible. I should be reading more, but it's, it, you're having a hard time working that out. I just want to encourage you, if you don't do anything else just read it, and then let God do the work that he can do. And honestly, it's the work that only he can do. Um, these spiritual disciplines of things like reading, studying your Bible, praying, uh, meditating, serving others, all of these kinds of things that we talk about as disciplines that uh, apprentices of Jesus should be involved in, in and of themselves, studying the Bible doesn't do anything but increase your knowledge right? There are people who know tons and tons and tons about the Bible. They've studied it to death, but that doesn't mean they believe any of it. 
So studying the Bible isn't the goal. Getting it in you is the goal. Because then it can do the work that it can do. Because these spiritual disciplines in and of themselves, if I meditate a lot, maybe I get good at lowering my blood pressure or, you know, I'm, I'm more calm because I've taken time to consider the world around me and the things of God. But my goal is to put myself in a place through um, contemplation, reading the Word, uh, serving others, praying. I want to put myself in a place where God can do the work that only God can do because I've set aside time for Him to do that. So they're really a... These disciplines, like reading your Bible, are a a way to get to the place that God can work in you, in me, that he otherwise would not be able to do because we don't give him space to do it. All right, so with that being said, uh, jump with me to John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's literally what I just said about the disciplines, right? Apart from Him, everything that we do really doesn't amount to much. We have to to be in conjunction with Him, and the problem with our lives and our busy lives especially sometimes is we don't set aside any time to actually be with Him, and so He isn't able to do the work within us that He wishes to do in order to grow us and transform us into everything that he wants us to be. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. I'm going to come back to that. So uh, here we have the I am statement. I am the vine. You, you, me, you, us, we are the branches. Uh, Scripture is filled with uh, agricultural references like this. Um, In fact, there's another place in Romans chapter 11, which I would encourage you to go read because it's got some really powerful statements in there, where uh, it's a similar story, a similar metaphor, but it's an olive tree, uh, which sometimes is viney, and there's some relationship to the way that they're tended, a vineyard and an olive grove, and the ways that they're tended. There are some similarities there. Uh, we see places where um, uh, Jesus talks about uh, people in the church, those who are, not, not, not really the church, but those who are believers, that there are people who are wheat, and there are people who are tares, and, and the wheat are true believers, and tares are, it's a plant that looks exactly like wheat, and it grows up among the wheat, but within the head of that, that place where there should be the fruit, the, the grain, if you break it open, there's nothing in there. Um, we see the, the, the seasons referred to of seed time and harvest. Uh, Jesus says, right now the fields of the kingdom of heaven are white with harvest, meaning the, the, the crop has flowered, it's bloomed, and it's ready to be harvested, he says. And he's just looking for workers to harvest. 
And so we see these agricultural metaphors throughout Scripture, and this is one uh, that Jesus really uh, speaks heavily about, and it refers back to something that we'll look at here in a moment, back to the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, uh, what Jesus is saying here. But if we back this up, so he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So the, the first thing I want you to think about is if you're looking at your life and you're saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm living this life with Christ, I think, but I'm not seeing much happen in my relationship with God. I'm not seeing the evidence of Him in my life the way that maybe I thought that I would or I see Him in someone else's life. I would challenge you to ask yourself first this question, and this is a difficult question to wrestle with, something that I find myself wrestling with all the time because I'm prone to wander. That song, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to wander. I'm easily distracted sometimes. So the question that I would pose to you, the question that I pose to myself, is when I'm not seeing the fruit, the evidence, the benefit of God's presence in my life, is it possible it's because I'm really not abiding in Him or allowing Him to abide with me? And it is our effort on both sides of that equation. See, God is always willing. Jesus, he tells us over and over again that he wants to be with us. He wants us to follow him. He wants to walk alongside of us. He wants us to be uh, adopted into his family, to become sons and daughters of God. All of this is very inclusive, very gathering, very um, welcoming language that Jesus uses towards us. If we will respond to the offer of his grace and his sacrifice for the sin that's causing the problem in our lives. So if we're not experiencing the presence of God in our lives, and I mean in our daily functioning of seeing God move, hearing God speak, maybe not audible, but that happens to some people, but just seeing the evidence of God. We should really drill down and ask the question, is it because I'm allowing myself to consume my life with so many things that have nothing to do with God or, th or even things that he would be opposed to, right? Let's just get serious. Can we expect to see and experience and, and, and know the presence of God in our daily lives and in our daily circumstances if we're out there pursuing things that we know don't honor Him? If we're out there actually actively chasing sinful things, can we expect then for His presence to be real to us and relevant to us in our daily lives. So it's, are we abiding in Him? Are we chasing the things that are of God? Are we thinking on and, and pursuing things that are, what does the Scripture tell us? Things that are lovely, things that are good, things that are righteous? Or are we consuming ourselves with things that, that God really doesn't want any, any business with because they're unholy? 
And if the answer to that is at all yes, then not only are we not abiding in him, but we're placing up a barrier that doesn't allow him to abide with us. So we have to be willing as followers of Christ, as apprentices of Christ. He offers us this incredible grace that we've sung about this morning. He offers us this this absolutely unknowable and unimaginable gift of a holy and righteous God who is without blemish, who is without spot, who is without sin, is willing to say, I will come and live with you in your life, in your circumstances. And what he asks of us is to trust him and to not chase after things that are unrighteous. Now, notice I didn't say that he asks us to be perfect. He asks us to be sinless because he doesn't ask us that. In fact, the whole point of grace is that he looks at us and he goes, listen, I know you're going to mess this up. I'm just asking you to come with me. And if you're going to be my follower, be in love with me instead of being in love with your sin. Because see, that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that those who are outside of Christ, they're, they're slaves to the sin in their lives. But if we, if we step into life with Christ, instead we can be slaves to righteousness. And what that means is we now have the choice. Those who are slaves to sin have no choice but to obey their master, which is sin. But if we step into the light of righteousness, we now become people who can say no to sin. And he asks us to to try to do that and instead be slaves to righteousness. He knows we're going to make mistakes. It's not about that. It's about what are we actively choosing to direct our lives and our time and our attention towards, towards that which is unholy and unrighteous, or are we pursuing that which is righteous and holy? So let's back that up to the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, John chapter 15, verse 1. He says kind of the same thing, but he adds a couple of other ideas here. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I just want to stop there. This is, this is where Jesus reveals to us what I was just telling you. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying there are all kinds of vines out there that you can attach yourselves to. There's all kinds of things that you can plug your life into or your time into or your brain into, uh, your passions into, your lusts into. There's all kinds of things that you can be grafted into that are vines out there, and they will give you a semblance of life. They will give you some kind of product in your life. It will produce something. But he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine that gives real life, true life. The life that you're actually looking for when you connect to these other things that don't give you what you want, what you need. He says, I'm the answer for that. I'm the source. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This, this verse always makes me, um, it, it amuses me because 
Uh, it reminds me of the life that Christ has called us to and how uh, sometimes I'm not excited about it. Because I'd like to believe the idea, and, and it's out there, and we've talked about it here before. I'd like to believe the idea that becoming a Christian, being an apprentice of Jesus Christ, means uh, that everything's going to be happy from here on out. And that's, and that's even just from the worldly standpoint, right? Like that somehow that's going to give me some sort of, of holy barrier against the, trails, the trials and tribulations of life. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I, I remember scriptures uh, that say things. We, we talk about this here often uh, because we're all in it right now. Uh, Jesus says, um, in this life, you will have trouble. Now, he also says, fear not, because I'm with you in that same breath. He says, in this life, you're going to have uh, uh, troubles, but don't be afraid, because I'm with you. And so that idea of, of kind of the, you know, the perfect life because now I'm walking with God, it just doesn't exist. It's nowhere in Scripture. Now, the blessed life, that's a different thing. And the blessed life is not, you know, bigger cars, bigger houses, more money, all that stuff. The blessed life is, I'm with you, he says. No matter what, I'm with you. And this verse is kind of like that, except here... The hard thing that may be happening is actually being done by God. Because what does he say? He says, look, if, if you think you're grafted into me, you're, and, and let, let's talk about how this works. I'll, I'll give you the, the visual picture here of how um, in a vineyard they can take uh, these, these canes, these uh, small shoots, and they'll take them from one healthy uh, place where it's got these, uh, in fact, it has to be a multiples of two, two, four, six, and eight of these vine, uh, vines with grapes on them, buds for grapes. They'll take and they'll cut them off about this long, about eight inches. I think it's a minimum of four, maximum of eight. They'll cut it off on the top, straight across, and on the bottom, they'll cut it at an angle and they'll make a little wedge out of that. And then they'll go to another healthy vine that they want to expand or they want to create a new variety of grape, they'll go to that one and they'll take a, a place near the root and they'll cut it off and then put a slice right down the top of it so that it can be opened up like this. And then they take that wedge cut from the other one and they drive it down in there so that the, the places that they've cut now are touching each other. And they'll wrap it up and if they've done everything well and they've done it at the right season and they've done it in the right way, that new shoot will begin to grow into that old root and they'll become one. And a whole new thing will grow. And sometimes it's an entirely new variety of grape because they've taken a variety from over here and the variety over here that's this root and they've married them together and it creates something brand new. But if we think that we've been grafted into the vine that is Jesus, where he says, I'm the vine and you're the branch, he says the evidence of that is fruit. You'll produce fruit. And he says here, every branch that bears fruit or that does not bear fruit, he removes. A little further on, he says, and throws it in the fire. Why is, why is that? Because a branch that doesn't bear fruit doesn't have any 
function, right? In fact, if you were to go to that same vineyard where they're, they're cutting off these canes and forming them to be able to, to graft them into another, they're not going to go to a branch that has no buds, has produced no fruit, looks withered. They're not going to cut that one off and put it into a healthy plant because nothing's going to happen. In fact, it's going to be rejected. But that's not us, right? We're all, we're all bearing fruit. Hang on. And so we think that. We go, all right, all right, I get it. If a branch isn't bearing fruit, he's going to take it out. He might even throw it in the fire. But that's not me. It's going to be okay. Everything's good. And then this is where I always get amused because I, this is... This is how it really works. And he says, and every branch that does bear fruit, and we're all like, yay, that's me. Woo, I'm bearing fruit. I'm not going to get chopped off, except. He says, if you're bearing fruit, the vine dresser is going to come in and he's going to prune those. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, the word of God is strong enough and powerful enough to stand up against, I don't like that. There's plenty of it in here that can cause us to say, I don't like that. But it's necessary. If you've done any measure of gardening, especially if you've worked with um, you know, uh, trees, especially vines, um, my dwarf lilacs that I have out in front of my house, they're like my favorite plant in kind of the little landscaping that we have. Karen looks at me crazy like every fall because I get out there with uh, the electric thing, man, and I just cut that thing down. It would be like this big, and it's like, Wah! and it looks sad. Debbie knows. You guys got some big lilacs, right? And if you don't cut them back, guess what happens? They stop producing flowers. You let them go long enough and you'll have this giant plant with just a little oh, over here and one over there and, one, and they're just sad. But if you'll cut them back, oh, I can't wait for this summer. I, we, we'll get two blooms out of our lilacs this summer probably. And they'll just be full. And every time you walk out of the front of the house and you step out, it's just phew, smell of those lilacs. I love it. But they wouldn't do that if I didn't prune them. And that's what he's saying here. He says, good for you for producing fruit. I want you to produce more. So sometimes I'm going to come along and I'm going to chop some things off in your life. And they're not even necessarily bad things, right? All the stuff that I'm pruning from my lilacs, they weren't bad things. They produced flowers. They were lovely. They had these cool leaves on them, and I love the shape of the leaves when they come up on the, the branches of these guys. They look amazing, and the, the deep green color that they have, I, just, I love everything about it. There's nothing wrong with them, but if I don't prune them back, I'm not helping the plant. I'm not helping the overall health of that thing, and that's what he's telling us here, and we have to be, we have to be ready for that. We have to trust the vine dresser that he knows what he's doing. And I think sometimes why we get to that place 
that we don't sense the presence of God, we don't see the work of God in the things that we're doing, um, we can't identify his activity with us, and, and it's because we're not abiding in him, and we're not allowing him to abide in us, the primary thing that we have, have stopped God from doing is he's probably been speaking to us about some things in our lives that need to be different, and they might not even be bad things, they're good things. Good things that we're doing, good things that we're thinking, uh, good things that we're involved in, but they're not the things that he wants right now. And he's trying to tell us, he says, I want to prune that. I want to I take that off. Because if I do, it's all going to be healthier. I think back to when like the 25 people sat back here and we talked about... Uh, extending the faith of Christ Community Church to get Tyler and Carrie Knup here. Because I was leading worship and preaching every Sunday. And I'd done that for a long time, and I loved it. It was a blast. But guess what? It got to a place where God said, we need to cut that thing off. Because this thing isn't going to be healthier if we don't do that. Was that hard? You bet it was. Was it right? Absolutely. You probably have things like that in your life. In fact, maybe right now there's something that you're wrestling with, and this is what God is trying to tell you. He says, I want to I actually get rid of that. Either because I need you to focus more, I need your energies more tightly focused, or I want to grow something new, a new crop of something, and you can't see it yet. This story I said comes from, uh, there's a similar story in Ezekiel. I want to take you back there if you want to go with me for just a moment, and then we're going to close. It's Ezekiel chapter 5. I'm reading here to make sure I have the right passage. What verses did I give you, Jason? Yeah, that would be wrong. Man, I hate it when I do that. All right, I'm just going to tell you what it says. And I'll find it later and I'll, I'll, I'll put it out like in our newsletter or something. It's a, it's a, it's a warning to the nation of Israel, the Jews. And the prophet says, uh, God is saying, listen, I set you up in a vineyard, and I cultivated you, and I expected you to bear fruit, but instead, you've allowed other influences to come in, and instead of bearing the sweet fruit that I intended for you to bear, you're bearing what the, the Hebrew says, either um, sour grapes, it says wild in most translations, instead you're bearing wild fruit. Uh, another meaning of the word that's for wild there is called stinking. Stinky grapes. And it's the difference between if you were to go out into places where grapes do grow wild and you find a wild grape tr uh, vine and you pull some grapes off and pop in your mouth, you are not going to be happy. It's like the experience you had when you were a kid and you thought baker's chocolate was going to be awesome. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anybody? Is it just me? No? I know it wasn't just me, no. 
Um, and it's not. <laughs> uh, baker's chocolate is not what you're thinking it's going to be. And it's like that with these wild grapes. And so he tells the nation of Israel, he says, so in fact, um, because you've gone all wild and crazy and you've produced this stinking fruit, I, the day is going to come where I'm going to offer my grace beyond just my people, my nation of Israel. And then Jesus is here, and he's talking about it. In Romans chapter 11, when uh, the writer is talking about the olive trees and grafting in, he's, he's telling the story there, the continuing story. We have God's revelation to the nation of Israel that we see in the Old Testament, and then we see his intent to provide salvation for all of mankind through Jesus Christ. Jesus comes... The people that he initially works with are Jews, the 12 disciples, they're Jews. He's giving them the gospel first and telling them that my father's the vine dresser. You know this story about the wild grapes and how God was not happy with you as his people because you didn't do and go in the way that he wanted you to go. And so he says, now I'm here and I'm revealing the gospel to you again. You should receive it because the Messiah has arrived because the time is coming when God now is going to kick open the doors of his kingdom to everyone, to the Jew, the Gentile, the Greek, and everyone will hear the gospel. And in Romans chapter 11, when the writer is talking about it there, that's exactly what he says. He says, I come to you as one who now is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, that there is a way to be grafted into the vine that is Jesus. It's an incredible story of God's grace that he, he extends this to us. As the scripture says, that, that God's love towards us was so great that even while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how, that's how imperative it is to God that you hear his message of grace and salvation. What he then asks of us, if we agree to be his apprentices, his followers, his disciples, is he asks us then to abide in him, to allow ourselves to be grafted in and to take root and bear the fruit that he intends for us to bear in our lives. Good works. In this passage in John chapter 15, he goes a little bit further and he says, uh, in fact, uh, if if you're in the vine, if you're grafted in and you're growing as you should, you should be producing good fruit, which is good deeds and works among you so that people will know that you're my disciples. We should be, we should be living lives in response to this grace, in response to being invited into this vine. We should be living lives that are examples of God's work in us, his, his grafting us into his life, his pruning of us, which means putting aside and putting away things, maybe some things that are bad for us and even some things that are good for us, but he wants something different. We're willing to do that to allow him to prune us and lift us up and to grow us so that we're living lives in the world around us, that, that God's work in us is so obvious that it's evidence to the people around us that we're followers of Christ. And I come back to my original question to close this out. If you're looking at your life and saying, man, I'm not seeing any of that, I have to ask you, are you in the vine? Or are you out there growing wild? 
Because guess what? If you're out there growing wild, you will produce fruit, and it'll be stinky. So that's the question for you to wrestle with and for me to wrestle with. Am I abiding in him and allowing him to abide in me? And if I find places where that's not true, it's on me to fix it. He's willing, he's able, he's ready to do the work. But we have to allow him, we have to invite him to do so. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, I love these people. I love this church. And I know the many, many good things you are doing in us and among us and through us. Lord, may we be willing as a church and as individuals in our lives with you, may we be willing to allow you to, to grow us, to cultivate us, to prune us when necessary. Lord, that we'll live lives of abundant fruit that becomes to the world around us undeniable evidence of your good work in us and who you are that we might have the opportunity to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.